Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. We fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We're beginning a, a six-week look into the letter uh, to the Ephesians. Now, I want to give you a heads up before we jump into all of this. It's going to stretch some of you a little bit because we're going to be in more of a teaching mode throughout this series. We're going to break everything down one chapter at a time by taking a close look at selected passages. We don't have time to do like a verse-by-verse breakdown. I mean, I, I love those. We just don't have time to do that. But we are going to get into the nitty-gritty of Scripture here. And so anytime we break down a book or letter, in the Bible. You gotta roll your sleeves up a little bit, gotta do a little digging into culture and language and history to really understand what's being talked about. And before we get into chapter one, I want to encourage you to head to our website, especially if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or you're listening to the podcast right now as you're exercising or driving or whatever, because we have a reading journal for you to download. So go to our messages section at RadiantChurchSC.com and you'll find the reading journal available for download on today's message and every message thereafter. The objective behind this reading journal is to help you get in the habit of thinking critically while reading the Bible. So we want you to take your spiritual growth just to the next level. And so each day you're going to read through that week's particular chapter. This week it's Ephesians chapter 1. You're going to read this each day, all right? And then you're going to write down what questions you have, what observations about the text you're making, and then just what possible applications you can draw from it. Now, in all fairness, it's it's difficult to do this in a very thorough manner without some kind of study tool. And so if you would like access to a couple of free study tools, you can go to BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.org and uh, access those tools there. You don't have to use them, of course, but if you want to dig a little bit deeper, those two sites offer free study tools for you, and, and they're fantastic. So one of our goals in this series is to get you in the habit of reading Scripture and and thinking in a critical manner. You say, well, why is that? Because it will help you to really pay attention to the text and just to soak it into your memory as well as help you think critically in terms of what what you're reading and, and, and drawing out conclusions in a very active manner about what's being read. It's not just one of those, well, I read today, let me just kind of check this off my list. Like, it's not that kind of thing. I want you to really dive into the Word of God. And so if you have any questions about what you're reading, send them to us. You can email us, office at radiantchurchsc.com, and, and we'll get back with you as soon as we can. All right, so Ephesians. It's a letter written by a man named Paul. And if you're not familiar with who Paul is, his, his story is just incredible. He was an extremist, a fanatical Pharisee who imprisoned Christians. And and he was probably in Jerusalem studying at the time that Jesus was actually ministering. He may have even witnessed Jesus teach. Kind of blows your mind when you think about that. On the way to Damascus, which is the Syrian capital then and still is today, he has an encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life forever. And so his name even changes. It was Saul, now it becomes Paul, and his mission changes. Everything is, is different, and Paul has one goal in mind, win as many people to Christ as possible. He would travel all throughout the Roman Empire 
during the first century planting churches, raising up leaders like Timothy and Titus. He was beaten, he was stoned and scourged and imprisoned for his faith, and he actually was imprisoned in Rome twice. The second time resulted in his death. But during his first imprisonment, he wrote four letters, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. Now, Ephesians was written to the churches in Ephesus, that's today in the country of Turkey, and it was at the intersection of some major trade routes. It was a pretty wealthy and important city. In fact, the Ephesian church was considered the premier church. They, they knew how to do church well. They had all the basics covered. They were wealthy. In many ways, they were the model church for others to kind of look up to. And, and this, this kind of gets them a little bit of trouble. <laughs> when you jump into Revelation, Jesus has some choice words for those guys uh, as a result of all of that. But at this point in time, when Paul's writing to the Ephesian Christians, they're, they're ministering firing on all cylinders, doing a bang-up job. So let's jump into chapter 1, okay? We're going to actually focus on the end of this chapter, but we need to know what's happening in the first 14 or so verses before we actually get to the end. So let's just kind of do a quick quick intro and recap of what's happening in the first half here, okay? So, so what Paul's going to do in the first several verses is lay out God's great redemption plan to save mankind. There, there's a sin problem, and sin creates an eternal separation from God if it's not dealt with correctly. As a result, we read in verses 3 through 6 how God the Father creates this plan to save humanity from, from our sin. And then in verses 7 and 12, we discover the Son, this is Jesus, carries out that plan. He died and rose again for our sins. And then finally in verses 13 and 14, we read the Holy Spirit seals the deal and brings every person who believes into God's kingdom. What Paul does next is offer up a prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And this is where I, I want us to focus today, all right? Ephesians 1, verse number 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Verse number 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Talking about eternity here. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all the things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It is made full and complete in Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, there are three truths that Paul wants his readers to comprehend about God in this prayer. They're all three confined to verses 18 and 19. Uh, in verse number 18, we read that Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to first know where their hope comes from. Know where their hope comes from. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, that even though you know, much has changed throughout human history, technology, medicine, systems, humanity itself hasn't changed a whole lot. Like, people living in Ephesus in the first century, they thought and behaved largely how we do today. Uh, we tend to have similar fears and joys, and much of that is connected to what? Well, the world happening all around us, right? 
our world today might look different than it did in Paul's day. But whether people lived 2,000 years ago or they live today in the 21st century, they're all searching for the same thing, hope. They're all looking for hope. And that word hope can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Specifically here in Paul's letter, it references God's plan of salvation. The concept of hope, as you often see in the New Testament, is actually built on what God did in the Old Testament, in the past. Jesus didn't just show up and do his thing, okay? Like God had a plan, and that plan involved several hundred, a thousand you know, years of history and maneuvering to get Jesus at the right place, at the right time, to the right family. We could spend hours on the genealogy of Matthew and Luke and, and provide you with all kinds of takeaways from those genealogical records. And you can see that God had a very precise plan when you dive into that. So the plan of salvation at this point in Paul's writing in the first century is actually in the past because, you know, God put it together. Jesus came and he died and rose again. And, and so this hope is, 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 behind, is now looking forward to the future that he can save you. But that was all in the past. So and, and it's a hope that God will do what he promises he's going to do. But there's also another important element to the hope that's important. Hope also refers to God's plan of salvation, sure, but also his call for humanity to accept the salvation and in doing so become part of his family. This is important, man, because without accepting God's for his salvation and becoming part of his family. The other truths we're going to get to in a moment uh, that Paul want his readers to comprehend, they're not going to be possible. This hope is foundational, and it means, of course, that salvation in Christ is foundational to our lives. So many things promise hope in our world today. They, they promise to be foundational, to change our lives, to better our perspectives, to even save our souls, but they deliver empty results. You can't find foundational hope in the success, right? Because there's always going to be somebody who's better. You can't find foundational hope in government or politics. They're inherently flawed. You can't find foundational hope in critical theory and its many different offshoots because they offer no definitive plan of redemption. There's only one source which provides a foundational hope, which delivers and never ends, which brings us into God's family and kingdom, and that is the hope of salvation found in Christ. It's because of Jesus that I can overcome the storms which come my way. It's, it's because of Jesus that I can trust God is in full control. I don't have to worry. I don't have to have anxiety. I don't have to figure out how everything's going to work and get put together. My hope is assured. It's absolute, it's certain, it's in Jesus. And that hope is foundational to everything in my life. And the second element that Paul wants his readers to grasp is found in verse number 18 also. And he wants them to know that they are God's inheritance. God's inheritance. Now, that's not really a word we use a whole lot today. It's not that sort of, it's kind of got a super wealthy tone to it. Um, but that's one way to view inheritance, of course, right? I mean, certainly Paul has, you know, in mind the idea of believers receiving an eternal inheritance found in God's kingdom. We know that because the way he uses the word in verse 14 actually points to that idea of inheriting or possessing something of intrinsic value. But I think we should pause for a moment. And, and expand a little bit on what else we inherit as Christians. Because Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians after he's already written his letter to the churches in Rome, letter called Romans. And in Romans 8, 14 through 17, 
he explains what happens when we become part of God's family and God's kingdom. He's talking about salvation and its effects in this passage. And I want you to listen to this right here. Romans 8, verse number 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And so you've not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit. He adopted you as His own children, and we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Verse number 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. Here's where the concept of inheritance is going to come in. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Two really important points I want to draw out before we go on, okay? One, we're not heirs to God's kingdom on our own merit. So we have to accept God's invitation for salvation first. And, and that can't even come without Jesus and his death and resurrection. So, so we're not even sole heirs here. We're actually co-heirs with Christ. And since Jesus is God's son and, and we're brought into God's family, we're actually like adopted kids, but with all the privileges of what a son and daughter would have. Now, two, we share in Christ's glory. But we also share in his suffering. Suffering doesn't sound like a, a great inheritance, right? But it's through suffering that you become like Christ. And if you want to receive God's reward for your life, you've you got to experience and share in Christ's suffering as well. And when you suffer, when you go through difficulty and hardship, hey, don't cave to the doom and gloom of it all. Instead, keep your head up. No suffering is part of the journey. In fact, it's a very important part of the journey with Christ that we're supposed to walk in. We're walking in His shoes, really, in a way here. So as Christians, we're receiving an inheritance of both glory and suffering in Christ. But in our passage today, Paul specifically mentions that Christians are God's inheritance. This is in verse number 18. Now that sounds a little odd, right? Like, what does he mean by that? Like, what, is, what does Paul mean when we're saying, you know, that we're God's inheritance? What he means is that God's inheritance is found within believers. We are his possession, and so God's inheritance is actually found within us as individuals. It's, it's, it's often said, you know, that the grandchildren are their grandparents' inheritance. I haven't met a single grandparent yet who would not agree with that statement, you know? Like, your grandkids are everything, right? They're special in some ways. It's like the ultimate reward in this life, as I've heard it described before. That's God's view of you. Right, did you know that God views you as his ultimate inheritance? As your special possession? He has a, a deep and sincere love for you that simply cannot be put into words. And that's why his grace and forgiveness extends to cover every wrong. You're never too far gone for God. You're never too bad or unworthy or whatever adjective you want to use. God has a grace which covers all wrongs and a deep love which longs to bring you his inheritance home with him. Now, we're not obviously all at home with the Lord yet, are we? And that's actually something which takes place in the future. So in fact, what Paul is creating in this prayer in the Ephesians is a past, a present, and a future perspective. Salvation was a plan that God put together and carried out in the past. We are his inheritance and have a future place in God's kingdom. So what's available to us here in the present? Well, Paul wants his readers to know in the present, he wants them to know God's power. Yeah, that's right. Know God's power and how it's available for them today. Look at verses 19 and 20 one more time. 
Verse number 19, I also pray that you'll understand the greatness of God's power for us to believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The Ephesians knew a thing or two about power. You know, they were part of the Roman Empire. And in the first century, they were the greatest military power in the world at the time. The Roman Colosseum was where power was put on full display, right? The big gladiator battles, uh, all kinds of slavery was practiced in, 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 in the Roman Empire as well. I mean, Roman culture was just centered on grabbing power in every facet of life. A little bit's changed, but not a whole lot. A couple thousand years later, right? Grabbing power is still the name of the game, even here in America. We want political power, military power, sexual power, economic power. Like nobody wants to be the guy who doesn't have power in our culture. But that power can't withstand the powers of darkness that are in operation in our world today. Think of the different centers of power and just how they're so easily manipulated, how corrupt they are, how, how there doesn't seem to be any kind of backbone in the halls of authority in our culture. Power derived from ourselves, from us. It can't withstand the onslaught from the enemy. And what Paul wants the Ephesians to really grasp here is that God's power can withstand the enemy's attacks. That God's power is derived from his own strength and it's directed to every believer. Think about that for a moment. The very power that, that healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind and calmed the storms and raised the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, right, resides within who? The guy who's been a Christian for, you know, 20 years? The person who can quote a uh, hundred verses from memory? Well, yes and yes, but also the person who came in struggling with an alcohol addiction and said yes to Jesus. It resides in the person who still is so new and green in their faith, they haven't realized yet, it's time to stop heading to the club, man, you know? Like, like it resides in every person, Paul says in verse 19, who believes, right? For us who believe him. From the moment you commit to following Christ and you accept God's invitation for salvation, His Spirit is placed within you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's now at work in your life. But it's not just for your benefit. It's so you can display the power and glory of the Lord and impact other people for Him. The greatness of God's power in this present day, it defines its demonstration in the person of Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear that in the concluding verses of chapter 1, that God has brought everything under the authority of Christ. That includes the body of Christ, which is also known as the global church, right? So Jesus is the source of this power, and it's through Him that we have this access to the very power which God can use to work miracles. Again, not for our own benefit, not for us to do as we want and please. It's for His glory. It's for His purpose and His plan to bring people to Himself. It's not our power. We haven't had anything to, to do with it. You know, we, we, we don't have everything placed under our authority, right? So we experience this power as a result of our relationship and connection with Jesus. The purpose of Paul's prayer at the end of this chapter, to start the letter, okay, is to remind the Ephesian Christians they have every spiritual benefit as a result of their association with Jesus. And he wants these Christians to deepen their relationship with God and as a result, you know, deepen those spiritual benefits along the way. I think a similar call is really appropriate for us today. Uh, there are so many challenges which lay ahead in our world, especially for Christians. 
more than ever, we, we need to know where our hope comes from. That it comes from salvation found in Christ when God carried out his plan 2,000 years ago. We need to know that, that we're God's inheritance, that he has a deep love for us and a grace that covers all of our wrongs. And there's a future in eternity with him to look forward to. And, and we need to know God's power. It's available for every person who believes, and it's through Jesus working in our lives that we can see God do some miraculous things. Without this solid footing, we may not make it in the years ahead. Like, I, I don't know how you can withstand the attacks of the enemy and what's coming without this foundation, without a deepening of our relationship with God. Now is a great time to make sure you're spiritually set and moving in the right direction. Are those spiritual benefits at work in your life? Is that relationship with God deepening? Do you even have a relationship with God? Here's what I want to do today. Before I pray for those of you who are Christians, that your walk will grow deeper, that you will walk in that power that resides within you, I want to pray for those of you who may not know Christ in that intimate way in that deep way. You, may, you might say, Pastor, I'm not even really a Christian here today. Well, I want to lead you in a prayer that makes Him Lord and Savior. In fact, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, just, just kind of pause for a moment and pray along with me in your own words. I'll kind of model it, but I want you to say it in your own words from the heart. It starts off by this, Lord, thank you for who you are. I'm coming to you today and I'm, I'm sorry for the sin that I've done. And I pray that you would forgive me for that sin. Forgive me for the wrong that I've committed. Become my Savior and save me from the powers of darkness, from the sin in my life. And Father, I, I pray that, that now that you become Savior, I pray you become Lord of my life. That no longer will I do my own thing. That no longer will I kind of follow my own path. I want to submit myself to your authority. I, I'm going to follow you from this day forward. I, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to take control. I've, I've tried it my way and tried it my way for a while, and it's not working. I'm ready for you to take center stage. Be Lord of my life and set me free. Lord, for those who are Christians today, God, I pray that, that you will remind them that uh, they, they are to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised the dead, the same power that opened the eyes of the blind, it resides within us. And, and it's not for our benefit and for our own good. We are to walk in this power that comes from you and allow ourselves to be used by you to do the miraculous, to see lives changed and wonder for you. May we walk and know that power. May we be reminded that we are your inheritance, that, God, you have a love that covers wrongs, that, God, you have a grace that goes so deep. Lord, I, I pray you would remind us that there is value uh, that, that, that we have in your sight, that we are loved and cared for by you. And, Lord, may we know today and be reminded of where our hope comes from, that who we are, what our purpose is, who we're meant to be. <clears throat> that's a hope found and rooted within the salvation that's offered because of what Christ did for us. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for giving us that hope. Thank you for saving us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com. 
or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.